It is an unfortunate fact that the elderly are taken advantage of every day. While the estate planning and government assistance laws are quite complex and ever-changing, how do you keep track of them all? Through elder law attorney Michael Cohen. He's there for you to answer any of your planning questions in a way that you and your loved ones will easily understand. Mike has devoted his entire career to dutifully informing and protecting our parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, anyone in need. Join us now to learn more about estate planning essentials with Michael Cohen and co-host Don Crawford Jr. Here now are Michael and Don. Dallas State Planning and Dallas Elder Law Attorney Michael Cohen and I, the co-host of this program, Don Crawford Jr., the very blessed owner of KWM Radio, welcome you to another Estate Planning Essentials program, endlessly striving to protecting your family, your assets, and you. And I say once again to you, my partner and co-host, hello, Michael Cohen. How are you, sir? Doing well, Don. How about yourself? I'm doing fine, then. Finally cooling off out there. Isn't it nice? Well, that's what happens when it gets October. <laughs> it really does. I thought it'd be cooler faster, but like we said last time, I think it's the state fair that, that indicates that uh, summer's over and here comes the fall and the winter. And uh, I don't know if it was a hot summer or not. I'm looking forward to see what the numbers were because I think we're done with the 90s after uh, September. So um, hopefully... It'll stay in the 80s and 70s. What do you think about staying in the 70s all the way through next April? What do you think? I think I will take it in New York Minute. Yes, I would too. Um, we're not going to do a New York Minute. We're going to do a 27 minutes for Texas, and we're going to have you talk about um, not a necessarily a topic, but a, a problem based on the story that was presented to you this week, uh, a, slice in the, uh, a slice of life uh, of Michael Cohen for the audience to get a feel for what you have to face on an ongoing basis and a little heart-wrenching when you first told me the story, but it sounds like there's a solution. Yeah, so this is kind of a really sad story, but a true story. Mm -hmm. uh, in this case, um, it was about a 34-year-old. Now, we always think that 34-year-olds are invincible and live forever and um, have all their life in front of them, but not, of course, that's not the way the real world sometimes work. In this case, the 34-year-old uh, mom had um, probably had never really taken care of her son. Uh, in fact, the grandmother basically raised the son, who is now 16 years old. Unfortunately, uh, grandmother passed, and she didn't have a will. Um, her daughter, the 34-year-old, um, is her only child. Now, what happens, first of all, when you don't have a will? It goes by laws of intestacy at the state where that person lives, in this case, Texas. So under, since grandmother was not married and only had one child, it all whatever assets she has would go to her one child. Grandmother dies. The main asset that she has is her homestead. In fact, maybe the only asset that she has of any significance for sure. But um, there's been a problem. The 
and, and by the way, the although the, um, the mother, the 34-year-old, was not living in that home, the um, her grandson was that she was help, you know, was basically raising a 16-year-old grandchild. Uh, grandmother dies, and now what's happened to the 34-year-old? That's unfortunate. Uh, she had too much to drink, uh, and she walked out in the street and got hit by a car, uh, and uh, has never recovered, and is in a nursing home and on Medicaid. Mm-hmm. And you're in, you know, a lot of times if you have no limited resources, then usually if you're single, as she is in this case, or accountable assets, not all assets count. Usually if you have a home or a car or a pre-need funeral, your personal property items, there are certain things that do not count. But in this case, uh, she hadn't really nothing, and she was getting the government to help pay for her care. Now, when you're on Medicaid, since the resources are, are um, you know, there's a limited amount of resources for the government to allow to be there to be payment, um, by inheriting the property, which was not her homestead, from her own mother, the 34-year-old inheriting from her mother, uh, then all of a sudden she would have too much assets and not be eligible for Medicaid. So the first goal is how do you make that asset not count so she would not lose the valuable public benefits? In other words, let's say she had a Social Security income of 1000 uh, They just changed the average cost of a nursing home to being over $7,000 a month. Oh, goodness. So you're talking about a $6,000 a month savings if she had, you, know, you wouldn't think her Social Security would be that great if if uh, she's only 34 years old, so she didn't have probably that much of a work history. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, Social Security, you could get Social Security disability, um, which I'm sure that she got, uh, and Medicare, uh, perhaps as well, but Medicare doesn't cover skilled care except for maybe, um, uh, you know, uh, you, you might have 20 days fully and then up to additional 80 days copay uh, if you have a Medicare supplement. But she probably just got the Social Security disability and the Medicare, um, the Medicare doesn't even kick in for two years after you get on Social Security. Uh, so I'm sure that she's on Social Security disability because under the Medicaid rules, there you have to kind of show some proof that you're disabled if you're under 65. So in any event, uh, she is inheriting this property through the probate process of an heirship determination because the, the mom, her mom, the 34-year-old's uh, mother, died without a will. Hmm. First problem would be uh, what could have been done differently. Well, first of all, the grandmother, maybe she didn't even want the child to be a beneficiary. She may have wanted to take care of the grandchild. So she could have had, normally, even our most basic will, we have a disability trust and an underage trust as well. So in the basic will, you say, all right, if anybody is disabled, at the time of my death, instead of it going to them directly, it goes into a uh, 
trust that doesn't count for Medicaid. You wouldn't think that a 34-year-old would be on uh, be disabled, uh, but that's what the case was here. Uh, her mother didn't do a will uh, now, and so as a result, uh, you know, now we face the problem of potentially the loss of Medicaid. Not to mention, we'll talk about Medicaid estate recovery in just a second. So. Uh, so, in other words, the government has a right to make a claim against an asset even if it didn't count after the death of the Medicaid recipient, in this case, the 34-year-old. All right, so so we have a uh, – so we're, the valuable benefit here is that if the cost of – if the Social Security was only $1,000, there might be a $6,000 a month savings on the cost of care plus medication taken care of by the government. So this is a very valuable asset. Obviously, the 34-year-old probably did not have long-term care insurance so and didn't have any assets to speak of. So now the first thing is if you inherit, then she would lose eligibility. So how do we have it where the 34-year-old, who's probably about to pass, uh, would not lose her public benefits? Well, so you just got to know the rules, just like anything in life, whether it's tax laws. I know, you know, uh, we we talked about a little bit before the show that uh, the proposed uh, uh, Build Better, Build Back Better Act, uh, the estate tax limit uh, has been uh, changed to a little over $6 million effective January 1st if that act passes uh, per person. Uh, so just have to know what the rules are so that you could plan accordingly. Uh, similarly, in Medicaid, just like on estate planning, you just have to know what the rules are so that you could plan and go within the rules to preserve or protect those that you care about. All right, so in this case, um, the one way that a the inheritance would not count uh, in this case, was a piece of real estate, the home that the grandmother lived in, now would be inherited by the her daughter, the 34-year-old. For that to not count, since it wasn't the daughter's, the 34-year-old daughter's homestead, if you place any property up for sale, it does not count as an asset, any piece of real estate up for sale, it does not count as an asset for Medicaid, okay. So, so we now then the question becomes: Can you place any value on it? Well, it should be, you know, close to the value or the value of the property, whether you have an appraisal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, in this case, she's probably about to die real soon, so you place the property up for sale. Now, the problem becomes: If the property was sold, if the property was sold. Then it becomes what? Cash. Well, for Medicaid, all you could have is $2,000. So what do you do then? Well, you do a certain type of trust. Uh, however, to, for the benefit of the what's called the ward, so the 34-year-old, there would be guardianship, and she would be considered the ward, um, kind of like, you know, talked about in prior shows, Britney Spears was a ward in effect. Uh, in California, uh, well, this case, the 34-year-old would be a ward uh, if there was guardianship. Um, well, um, so you, 
if the property was sold, you could put the funds in a certain type of trust. Uh, but then the government would have to be named as a remainder beneficiary to the extent that Medicaid benefits had been advanced. But we want to preserve resources for the 16-year-old. All right, so how do you do that? Well, because remember, uh, if the property was not sold, was not sold, well, the 34-year-old doesn't have a will either. So uh, so now we got this uh, 34-year-old who uh, may probably will die in the near future without a will, and her only child is the 16-year-old. Uh, and so then we have to see that if the property is placed for sale and it's not sold, then, like I said, the government would be able to get back the money that they paid out on the 34-year-old to the extent that Medicaid benefits have been advanced. So the state would send out a letter saying, we intend to make a claim. Well, there are certain exceptions to the rules, certain exceptions to the rules. We can't do a, well, I suppose you could do a ladybird if the court would allow it. I'm not sure the court would allow it. As we've talked about in prior shows, a ladybird deed is an enhanced life estate deed where the person who signs the deed would be in control of the asset until they die, and then it goes to whoever the grantee of the deed is. But we don't need to do that in this case, and because there are other exceptions to the rule. In this case, one of the exceptions is something that I've never used before. Uh, there, if you were a child um, that is a beneficiary and you're under 21, it is an exception to the rules. So you show the birth certificate, and the child right now is only 16 years old. So the child, uh, if the 34-year-old dies, to if and if the property was not sold, you would fill out the questionnaire, show that the 16-year-old is obviously a minor, uh, and show the birth certificate uh, to prove that, and that would be an exception to the rules. So now the 16-year-old could continue to live in the home. Now, they may have to seek guardianship over the 16-year-old because there's nobody, you know, their uh, 16-year-olds considered to not have mental, to not have capacity or because they're too young. They can't contract as a 16-year-old. So the question, you may have to seek guardianship over that, uh, individual. However, the 16-year-old now, even if they sold the property when they're age of majority, then they can at least have some funds. I, you know, we obviously feel sorry for a 16-year-old whose grandmother who'd been taking care of him unfortunately dies. His mother is unfortunately uh, on the verge of dying at 34 years of age. And we have to, I mean, gee, I can imagine... Um, you know, the psychological damage that could be on a poor 16-year-old um, by the series of unfortunate events. But at least we have a way that that, that grandchild or the 16-year-old could benefit uh, within and go within the rules of Medicaid to save that home. Otherwise, the state, you know, technically can make a claim. There are other op There are other problems like an other things that you could argue, like undue hardship, uh, and there's other exceptions to the rules. 
But in this case, it would be very simple. You simply have to show the uh, issue of, I mean, the, the birth certificate uh, if the property was not sold. Of course, if the property sold, it becomes cash, and then you'd have to put the money in the trust uh, for the, uh, the benefit of the ward, uh, and the government would be the remainder beneficiary if the property was sold during her lifetime. So it's a, um, uh, it is a unusual um, uh, story. I don't think that I've ever – normally, you, you know, to protect homes on – in this case, it wasn't her homestead. To protect assets, usually the homestead, we do this enhanced life estate deed called a ladybird deed. Well, I have never used a minor as a beneficiary before as an exception to Medicaid estate recovery. There's other options. Uh, usually if there's um, a disabled child, if you do a ladybird deed, if there's a surviving spouse, if the income of the heirs is less than 300% of the poverty level, sometimes there's undue hardship. So like on anything, there's a set of rules. And you just have to know what the rules are and then go within those rules to do what the goals of the client may be. In this case, it was to really protect not only the uh, ward from losing Medicaid, but also the poor grandchild, the poor child who saw her is both his, probably both his grandmother who raised him and his mother, who was only 34 years old, probably pass, and there's no one. But we can at least save something for him by going within the rules. Fascinating story. Uh, you thought you'd seen it all, heard it all, and and now you didn't realize you'd ever have a situation with a minor, and you'd have to pull that lever and successfully help them with this home and to give them something in light of all the suffering that they're going to be going through, like you said. And I think that's a, a brilliant move and strategy on your part, and I bet that family is, is terribly grateful for that knowledge and advice. Michael is really good at giving knowledge and advice to people, and that's why he has these free estate planning essentials workshops. He's been having those for years and years, and in the last year and a half, they've all been online via Zoom. And this next one that is coming up, which is Thursday, October the 21st, will be no exception. And Michael, tell the audience what goes on at those online workshops. We ask people what they want to know. And we call it a workshop, not a seminar, although we do give a presentation uh, because we ask people what they want to know, and we just proceed to answer those questions along with having a presentation to give some basic estate planning essentials uh, type knowledge, but also some basic Medicaid. We've talked about Medicaid today. The issue that we had here to, that we talked about uh, so far has been a Medicaid issue. I've never had that question ever raised before. Mm -hmm. And there'll be some questions in the workshop that probably I've never heard before. And then people ask for solutions or what you could do or what the problems might be. Mm -hmm. And then we proceed to answer those questions. You're going to learn from the questions of others that it may relate to you. Uh, and then um, uh, so we, we talk about generally estate planning and Medicaid issues. It could be, though, that people ask about something else. It could be that the build the better uh, Build Back Better Act is perhaps passed by then. Uh, I have no idea. We anticipate something will be happening between now and then. 
We don't know for sure what will happen or if that bill passes. I'm just using that as an example because laws change, uh, relationships change, money changes, health changes. And so we never know uh, whatever planning that people do, uh, that change, uh, there could be changes. And so when they, anytime there's some uh, event, we have to think about what can be done that's different. Uh, so uh, anyway, so the, the bottom line is we want to ask you what you want to know. We proceed to answer those questions in the couple hours of that free estate planning essentials workshop that lasts for two hours. If you still have questions or you'd like to meet with me at some point later uh, after the workshop, but not that day probably, but, uh, but someday later, we often, uh, we often have people who want to get together uh, for another free one-hour what we call vision meeting. At that vision meeting, we go over your own particular circumstances, perhaps in more depth than what you may have done at the workshop, uh, and you just tell me what the goals are. We'll look at whatever the situation is, or perhaps if there's estate planning documents to make sure that they fit within your goals. Uh, a lot of times people don't think about things like, what happens like we had here today? What happens if my child is disabled? What happens if my child has um, predator issues? What happens if my child has marital issues? That type of thing. You don't think in those terms. Uh, I have plenty of employees who just don't want health insurance. They don't want to pay for it, and they, they don't think they're invincible necessarily, but um, getting sick or dying or tra even tragic accidents won't happen to them. And um, it's not wise, and um, whether you're 16, 34, or 84, Michael strongly recommends you have that kind of insurance and protection because you, you never know when you end up in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, the right place at the right time is to attend his next workshop, again, October 21st, which is a Thursday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Sign up by dialing 214-720-0102, 720 or go to DallasElderLawyer.com, -E Name is Michael Cohen, C-O-H-E-N. You can just Google that, Dallas Lawyer, and his website will come up immediately. Michael, about four minutes left. Um, I want to make sure I understand something. With a 16-year-old, they ended up with the house, thanks to your brilliant strategy, and they can live in that house. Who owns the house, and what if someone were to sell the house sometime down the road? Well, technically, the, the, the uh, what will happen is after the um, after his thirty four year old mother dies, mm -hmm. uh, he will he will own the house, although he may not be able to deal with anything until he uh, deal with the assets until um, you know he's the age of majority. Mm -hmm. So there may need to be guardianship uh, over him for somebody else to have the authority to act on his behalf mm -hmm. if needed. So if he couldn't sell the house, so he would have to have a guardian uh, to be appointed to act on his behalf until he is the age of majority. Which is what, 21? Uh, so, what is that age? Well, it depends upon what the, uh, it depends upon the story. Uh, for example, with UPM accounts, uniform transfers to minors accounts, the age of majority in Texas uh, is 21. But if you're signing a will, you just have to be 18 or other legal, other documents. So, so it depends on the uh, situation. Uh, so the answer is 
it depends. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's safe and and understandable. And but at, let's say it is hypothetically twenty one, he can then sell the house and take all the net profit, and that the government cannot go after. That's right. So okay. once you get a letter from the gov, you get this claim. Mm-hmm. Uh, we show the exception to the rules, and then we get a letter of withdrawal from the government saying, mm-hmm. yeah, you fit within the statutory exemption. So when you get this, um, what's called a MERP questionnaire form, the third question, the third exemption, they ask about the different exemptions. So one of the exemptions is, uh, do you have a, is a is the beneficiary a minor, somebody um, that's uh, a minor, or are they a disabled child or blind or permanently blind? Hmm. Uh, if those one of those exceptions are uh, fit, then we show the proof of the exception, and it's just one of many exceptions. And most people are just not aware that there are exceptions to the rule. Like I said, I have never used the child of being a minor exception previously. However, I know by number three on the uh, claim form that that is what uh, one of the exceptions. And so you just have to show the exception by showing the birth certificate. Uh, you know, sometimes you just have to show birth certificates. Uh, uh, so, for example, if you're on Medicaid and you wanted to make somebody wanted to make a gift for a grandchild, let's say, and they wanted to set up a uniform transfers to minors account or an irrevocable 529, a college education fund, uh, one of the exceptions to the transfer penalty rules is if you, you know, set up one of these things for uh, a beneficiary who's under 21, uh, in particular for the UTMA accounts, uh, because it has it could be any grandchild or even great-grandchild, whereas if it's a 529, it has to be just a grandchild. Uh, in any event, you show the birth certificate to show that the person, or you could show a driver's license that shows the age if they're 16 or over. That would be another uh, way of showing the age that's uh, acceptable to the government uh, to show the exception within the rules. So we just show their exception. So the the key, like on anything, is know what the uh, what the exceptions are. You know, like they said, there's always an exception to every rule. You just have to know what those exceptions are so that you can let the client know which options are best for them if they would like to fit within those rules to do what's in the best interest of whoever the client may be in their family. And that's the point. Everybody's situation is different in my mind than exceptional, and you need to determine exactly what Michael would advise you to do because of your circumstances, um, and that would be free if you attend his next online workshop, uh, which is, again, is on Thursday, October 21st at 1 p.m. via Zoom. And the way to sign up for that is to, is to dial 214 Donna or Bryce uh, or someone will pick up the phone. You can talk to them about just getting your name on the list and then a couple clicks uh, at the workshop on Thursday the 21st at 1 o'clock. And you're there and you can watch via Zoom. You, you don't have to be seen. You can just watch everybody else and Michael will get around to asking you a question are asking for your question, and I promise you he'll give you a very sufficient answer. Um, make sure you sign up for that as soon as possible, uh, and uh, you won't regret it. Michael Cohen, we thank you for your day, sir. Thank you, Don. The record shows I took the blows and did it more.
leading estate planner practicing law for decades in Dallas, Texas, Michael Cohen is ready to educate you about the Texas and federal laws. The next step to that end is to attend his next workshop by going to his website, which is DallasElderLawyer.com. That's DallasElderLawyer.com and sign up for that free estate planning essentials workshop. Or you can also call him by dialing 214-720-0102. That's 214-720-0102. A talk show host on KAAM for eight years now, Michael Cohen is the person you want to evaluate what could currently be a rather insufficient estate plan. Make certain that is not the case and that it is created and completed your way by signing up for his next free workshop today.